Welcome to the High Impact Man podcast. High impact men from across the nation sharing their stories of inspiration, encouragement, and hope to help others become the virtuous leaders they are called to be and that our nation desperately needs. Well, here we go again, another episode of the High Impact Man podcast. I'm your host, Nevin Gorky. In uh, F3 land, I'm known as D-Fib. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Troy Klinger, known as Dial Up in the Gloom. Uh, we're pretty excited to make it to episode 15 because, from what I heard, most podcasts end after the third episode. Dial Up, what do you think? We've beat the odds. We've been, we've been, so far, we're beating the odds. We have no idea. Like fivefold. We still don't know what we're doing. Right. We don't. Yeah. But, but we're having fun doing it. We're doing something right, apparently. Yeah. We don't care if anybody listens. Well, it, we do, but but we don't. We hang. We just enjoy hanging out together. We, we do enjoy hanging out together. We do. And uh, wearing these cool headphones and talking into these cool microphones. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You yeah. can't see us out there in podcast land, but we look good. Um, so anyway, uh, it's just fun to do it. We, we enjoy getting to know the guys that we have on uh, our podcast, uh, men of high impact who are making an impact in their communities. And some people around the country, and uh, who knows? You know, who knows what guys can be helped, motivated, uh, you know, inspired, encouraged, maybe get some hope out of things. So that is our mission, yeah. and we're uh, we're dedicated it to the glory of God. And for the first time out of fifteen episodes, I finally remembered to pray before we uh, started on round of applause. Yes, thank golf you, claps, thank you, thank golf you, claps. Spielberg, our tech guy <laughs> and director, and uh, otherwise uh, all around great guy, has uh, chastised me every time we record it. Anyway. I remember it this time. Well done. Yeah, thank you. Now, Dial-Up, I have to ask you, are you glad the May Challenge is over? I am glad the May Challenge is over. Okay, for those of you who are not familiar with F3, or if you're in F3 and you're not familiar with the May Challenge, it is basically uh, a thing where you get points for doing sp- specific exercises, and you form four-man teams. And, if, for instance, you get a point for every push-up you do. We call them Merkins in F3. Uh, half a point for a sit-up. Doesn't Ooh, seem worth it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, although when I tore my muscle in my shoulder from the Merkins, the sit-ups helped me a little bit. They did. Gave you something else to do. Gave you some points. Yeah, gave me something else to do. Uh, you get 100 points for every mile you run, 100 points for every mile you ruck, et cetera, et cetera. We killed ourselves during the month of May. Yeah. And we were in third place the whole time until like the last day. We yeah. got passed by two teams. Yeah. It's a little I, suspicious. I, I, I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm not going to say anything. They pedaled right past us. They did. Somehow they got like four hundred miles in biking, but whatever. We're not. We're not bitter. We're not hey, bitter, are we? it's on them. It is. It is on them. It's on them. No, I. I, I think they did. I I'm trust gonna give them. them. The, they I'm gonna give them the benefit. Innocent till proven guilty. We're gonna. And we it. weren't the strongest in that last week. We weren't. We weren't. We were fizzling. I know. Out, I was. I was traveling, so like it was harder to get as many points those last four or five days for me because yeah. I was on the road at uh, track meets and soccer tournaments, and so the days were kind of filled, but excuses excuses i know i got them like still could i still was getting six or seven hundred points a day but yeah well i was the weekly on our team so i can't complain about anybody but i did get my highest point total the last day highest daily point total the last day yeah all right well enough about that so um here we go our guest today is a guy named drew inman in f3 he is known as gandalf he is a member of our packs here in the susquehanna valley and he we think he's a high impact man so we have him uh, today is our guest. He's in studio, believe it or not, in the Nan Cave. It's been a while since we've had somebody in studio. I think uh, Porky's might been might have been the last guy we had. I in think person. you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, uh, we've we've expanded outside our regions as much as we can. Although we do have some high impact men here, so we we're, do. Yes, we're bringing them in, and he is one of them. He is one of them. So Gandalf, sir. Uh, first wait, question. Wait, yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, that uh, voice. Yeah. Say something again. Um, 
Drew Inman, Gandalf. Wait. 34. Sounds really familiar, doesn't it? It does, doesn't huh. it? You sound Unfortunately. A, you sound a lot like the guy that does our intro. Yeah, it's uncanny. It's, it's weird. It's, what yeah. the heck is up with Bizarre. that? Bizarre. We'll have to get you guys in Can touch I with one another. Yeah, we'll, we'll get you in touch. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, by hearing his voice, you can see why we've elected him to be our mm. intro voice, at least when we first started this thing. It took us, what, a couple weeks to plan this thing, and we were off and rolling. Yes, that's right. Yeah, you can probably tell. It's professional. Here we go. Uh, Gandalf. So, first yeah. the first question is, are you Gandalf the Gray or Gandalf the White? I uh, haven't been designated. What do you think? Uh, I'm, I'm, well, I think you, you Gandalf just... Gandalf the White, he comes back more powerful after right. killing the Belrog. Yes. And he has his anger under control a little more. Yeah. He has his mission a little clearer. He's matured spiritually. I don't think I'm there yet. I think I'm still Gandalf <laughs> the Grey. Well, you disappeared with COVID for a few weeks. And I did, right at the end of the May Challenge, and that uh, affected my point total, so that was disappointing. Yeah, I know. I know. You would have done well, too, because... Disappointing. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. No pun intended. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, well, if you don't get it out there in podcast land, too bad. Anyway, uh, one of the things we always ask our guys who are part of F3 is, uh, how did you get started with F3? Who EH'd you into F3? And how did you get your name? Okay, uh, good question. So um, shortly after I got back from Judge Advocate Training in Charlottesville, Virginia, I was in good shape. Um, Some months passed. I was trying to keep up my running. It wasn't working out so well. It just so happened that at church... uh, First Baptist Church of Danville, where you guys go as well. Um, my wife was sitting next to me. She had the church bulletin, and she said, hey, look at this uh, F3 thing. She pointed it out, and I was like, man, this, this sounds great. And that happened to be the Sunday morning that they played the little uh, you know, commercial for F3 that you guys did, the one that Spielberg thinks is terrible and needs to be redone. <laughs> she probably should. Uh, but I saw that. I thought it was awesome. I saw you guys lifting blocks, and I remember thinking, oh, man, I could show these fogies how it's done. Um, but <laughs> these I got my butt kicked uh, coming out to right. those beatdowns, and it was awesome. So nobody EH'd me. I actually just uh, saw the little promo at church and thought that was for me, and I've loved it. Another, yeah. another wife EH. Yes, my wife EH'd me. Yeah. Here we are. So I, I got to say, though, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the day that you posted it was a Monday morning, and we had actually moved or canceled. Did we move or cancel because of ice and snow? Was that? I, I can't remember, but you're right. So that was your other question, who gave me the name. So I showed up at Hesfield Monday morning, uh, and the only other person was Salty, who was supposed to tell me where to go. Uh, he led me astray, so it was just the two of us <laughs> there. Um, but Salty designated me as Gandalf as simply as, okay, you're tall. Uh, what do you like to do? I like to read. What do you read? Uh, you know, Lord of the Rings. I just started rattling off some books. He goes, okay, Lord of the Rings. Uh, what do you want? Gandalf or Legolas? I said, Gandalf. That was it. So <laughs> yeah, it was very uh, yeah, kind of I, him. I, 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 my guess is you probably wouldn't have got that if the whole packs was there, but who knows? Most likely not. But uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember why, why did we all miss was that? It was a storm. It was a big snowstorm. Was it storm. a big snowstorm? Yeah. Is that what it was? Yeah. Not now, guys out there in podcast land, all you yeah, have three guys yeah, now, yeah. right now saying, well, look at those wimps canceling because of snow. <laughs> hold on, hold on. We're not like the North and South Carolina snowstorms <laughs> oh, where boy, we shut we down the schools for half an inch of snow. Yeah, like a foot. I'm sorry, did you say more. North and South Carolina? <laughs> yeah, they are different. <laughs> Isn't it just one state? <laughs> well, oh, depends Lord. on who you talk to, yeah. And uh, we've lost some friends over that apparently out there in F3 Nation. 
Yeah, <laughs> thanks, guys. Appreciate that. That was me. Anyway, yeah, we, as I've said multiple podcasts in a row now, we offend one state in the union every podcast. I guess we're back on Carolina. We love you guys in Carolina. You are North yeah, and South yeah, Carolina. Yeah. I'm just joking about yeah. the whole snow thing, wimps. Yeah, I moved on to the Dakotas. They should combine. I don't know. They only got about 10 people in each state, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay, so, you know, I was looking through your, uh, your extensive CV, uh, if you haven't caught on by now, Gandalf is a JAG officer. Am I getting that right? JAG officer? Yeah, Judge Advocate. Judge, judge Advocate General, right? Yeah, that's the name <laughs> of the Corps, but uh, you just refer to me as a Judge Advocate. Okay, Judge Advocate. You know, I'm reading here uh, that you were, oh, I missed it here, but uh, your uh, education experience, the Judge Advocate, let me get this right, Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School in Charlotte's, Virginia. In 2021, yes. is that right? Yes. <coughs> Excuse me, guys. Anyway, um, GPA, 4.32 out of 4.33. So you really are asking me all the questions that I, I wasn't prepped for. <coughs> of course, that's right. You uh, thought we were so, joking? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I got I to hone in on this because I see you rank second out of a class of 97. So for everybody <laughs> listening, I had uh, really specific <laughs> things I wanted to talk to, and I feel like DFib's going to hone in on everything on my bio that I didn't list. But. Well, you know, I'm just concerned because second is, you know, we call that first loser. So what happened? I mean, why, why weren't you first? Yeah, it's a bit disappointing. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I gave it my all. 0.01. You missed by 0.01. No, I think the other guy had the exact same GPA. Okay. Yeah. Well, how did you get second? So I, I appreciate that question, but I'd like to talk about some other things. <laughs> They probably had like All a right. fitness contest or something. Well, oh, yeah. It was probably Merkins. Yeah. He's a pretty good well, runner. It, it, it wasn't a running race because he's a pretty good runner. So oh, he could run. I would have put money yeah. on him for that, but. Yeah. Yeah. So the GPA was all academic. That was the academic portion of the uh, judge advocate training. Spent three months there in Charlottesville. It's actually on uh, UVA's campus right next to the law school. And mm. we had courses in military justice, which is basically criminal law for the military, uh, fiscal law administrative law, national security law. And uh, so I just missed, I think, one more problem than the guy who took oh. number one. So yeah, that was a disappointment. That probably keeps but, you up at night. But he was a great guy, so I was happy for we him. We still love you. It's all right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're just picking on you. All you know, right. Hold, so, hold on, but yeah. you know, the F3 names, though, like think about like like JAG, right? We could have yeah. yeah. went with, uh, what was the, that movie? Well, there was a TV show that was JAG, right? I yeah. I'm trying to think of some names there. Rad, but right? Yeah, what was the girl's I'm sure, name? I'm sure it was a PAX. We could have came up with a really good name from that. The some girl's would, name would have been great. I, don't would remember. What I, I remember my wife used to watch it all the time because she thought... It was the, a cool show. The main officer was pretty pretty cute, dude. Yeah, but the lady was pretty nice, Handsome too. dude, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. and then, and then of course, there we could have went down the road of... Uh, oh, my goodness. How can I not remember the name of this? Uh, Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah, A Few uh, Good Men. A Few Good Men, yes. Yeah. There could have been some good options there, too. Yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, you can't oh, handle the truth. That's what happens when you uh, shirk a beat down because apparently, of a snowstorm. <laughs> apparently, I should have drove through the one foot plus of snow. Yeah, we should have. I mean, Gandalf made it. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and so did Salty. All right, so let me back up, rewind time a little bit. I'll get you back to the start here, Gandalf, and you, we could roll through your... He, he's made an extensive outline of what he wants to talk about today, which nobody else has done yet, but he is very, very prepared. And so we really, really appreciate that. I'm sure we're going to throw him off his game as we have already. However... What I'd like to start with, I always ask every guest, tell me where, what it was like, where you grew up, what it was like, what your family life was like. 
Sure. Um, I grew up, uh, well, I was born on Naval Air Station Patuxent River, which is on the western shore of the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. Uh, I was about six years old when the parents bought a horse farm down in southern Maryland. So I actually grew up on 30 acres of land. Uh, Mom bred horses, rode them, competed. Uh, She had like a tack room just full of ribbons from uh, breeding these horses and riding them. Uh, we had goats, chickens, uh, cows. I'd say it was a fairly typical upbringing. Came from a good and loving home. Um, my dad actually died when I was two years old. Uh, he was a lieutenant commander in the Navy. Fortunately, my mom met somebody else who ultimately became my stepdad. So I had that father figure growing up. Um, yeah, I'd say it was fairly typical. Uh, brother and I were probably a little bit spoiled, at least materially. We never wanted for anything cool uh in high school what did you uh, did you participate participate in sports etc or were we just studying all the time uh, actually not studying at all and that's part of a little narrative i've got i've got here but um so trying actually you, i'm trying to give you a lead in here buddy appreciate it <laughs> appreciate it you actually skipped ahead oh i'm supposed sorry to start at middle school oh i'm sorry okay. all right well, well I, okay back up to middle middle school. sure 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 yeah. Uh, so it was around middle school uh, that my mom decided unilaterally that I was going to be homeschooled, which uh, you may think explains a lot about me, and that's that's okay. Um, so around this time, to not get gonna, not going to touch that one. Well, he has a genetic experiment. I think. We, we we offend enough people with the whole state thing. We're not, <laughs> not going to go to the homeschool. No, thing. no, no. Oh, you can go for it. I don't no, care. no, no. I yeah. Yeah, but actually, um, in all seriousness, uh, about the time that mom decided I would be homeschooled, I uh, got somewhat isolated. This was before I had a chance to make friends at church, um, go to the community college, start working. So lost touch with public school friends, got kind of isolated, started to experience, I think, with sort of normal teenage angst. Um, you know, there I was in the sticks in Southern Maryland on a 30-acre farm, sort of 14 years old. You know, nothing unusual. Listen to my emo music. Listen to like you know, feel you know, pity party rock music. Things got really um, crazy. One night, I went to bed, and in all seriousness, I went to bed, laid my head on the pillow, and I felt this surge in my head, and then my heart started just pounding out of my chest. Started hyperventilating. It was it was wild. I had no clue what was going on. It was it was terrifying. Um, and it's like continue. I was just like, it was like mental torture and physical torture, like feeling, um, like a really hard workout, but you're not, you're not doing anything. So it was crazy. Uh, later found out that it was a panic attack. Um, I only have one more of those, but that night it was like, it opened the floodgates to just this obsessive, obsessive ruminating and fear. Um, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this was like the darkest time in my life. And I know um, Generation Z, it's fairly common for kids today to have anxiety. But what kickstarted for me wasn't just, um, you know, I was a worry ward or a little bit anxious. It was truly like debilitating what happened. Um, so you said fear. So like what anything you could put your finger on as far as like what yeah, what, so what that cause of the fear was, or what you feared? No, that 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 was what made it so bizarre. Was there wasn't you know anything going on in my life per se that would be that distressing? It was just like this abiding feeling, and um, sometimes that would manifest into like an actual thought, 
but sometimes it was just this vague feeling like, um, you know, when something really terrible goes wrong, you get that twisting feeling in the pit of your stomach, this dread, not F3's leader, but like just this existential dread. I would feel that all the time. Like, like I said, it was crazy. And if you're thinking, boy, this guy was out of his mind. I was, I mean, I was, I was really paralyzed at this time in my life. And um, not to, to dwell too much on, on this negative stuff, but I really want to give you a, a sense of what it was like. It was like going through the day was just checking in with the level of mental torture that I was feeling. And I, I use the word torture deliberately. It was, it was torturous experience. Um, and as far as some of the thoughts that did manifest for the fear, it was just a sort of like a circular self-fulfilling prophecy of, of why am I feeling like this? Like, what if I feel like this for the rest of my life? What if I'm utterly paralyzed and I never, like, what if I am like going crazy and this right. just spirals even worse and worse out of control? And you were about 12 or 13? I'd say 14, 14, 14. Yeah. Um, honestly, I can't remember, you know, what year it was that night that it like kickstarted with that panic attack out of the blue. Anyway, it wasn't long for my mom to realize, you know, something's wrong. You know, Drew's not okay. Um, she did set me up with some uh, appointments with a Christian therapist, and that was helpful, but it was only a handful that I went to very sporadically. And, um, you know, I say this without any resentment, without um, trying to say that my parents were negligent in any way. But one day my stepdad came into my room and he was like, look, I don't know what panic attacks are. I don't know what an anxiety disorder is. Uh, I don't know what you're going through, but we're, we're not paying for this. Mm. And um, I think it was just a lack of understanding and I didn't have the ability to articulate what was going on with me. So uh, when that happened, I remember thinking, okay, I'm, I'm truly alone. I, I mean, I'm alone in this and I don't know what's going to happen. Um, so, uh, talk about how the tide started to turn around this time. I'd say our family was nominally Christian. We went to church, um, but it was not a church that preached the gospel. It was more of like a country club where there's that social pressure to be a good person or at least portray yourself as a good person. I would have called myself a Christian, although I wouldn't have understood what that meant. Right. Really didn't know what's the deal about this Jesus guy, but you know, culturally Christian. That's where we were as a family, church attendance, very sporadic. Uh, but my mom started to go to this new church. It was First Baptist Church of Calvert County. Um, and she became pretty regular in attendance. And one morning she was like, you're coming to church. I didn't want to go to church, but you know, you don't win that battle when you're 14. So go to this church, and I still remember walking into the Sunday school classroom for the teens. Jack DeSando was the Sunday school teacher, and he just radiated this genuine joy and love. Mm. It was palpable, and I, I felt it immediately. And I don't mean, um, you know, like the youth pastory smarmy, hey, man, how you doing? It was, it was, he shook my hand, looked me in the eye really cared about me. And he could probably see that, you know, I was just, you know, a depressed wretch. Uh, but he really was loving. And I met, possibly more importantly, my peers there who were these kids who were, you know, other teenagers who were, who were serious about their faith. Um, 
you know, you hear that it's kind of cliche, like, uh, you know, I saw they saw they had something that I didn't have. Yeah, and that was truly the case with teenagers. I don't want to <laughs> embarrass them. If they listen to this, they would know who I'm talking about. Um, they weren't perfect, of course, but there was something there. They had Christ. They had this joy. Um, so that was actually the start to me ultimately becoming a Christian, ultimately understanding, uh, you know, my sin, uh, which was probably intertwined in a lot of this anxiety and, uh, understanding what Christ's death meant and mm-hmm. what he did, you know, paying the penalty for my sins and, um, trusting in him and believing in him gives us new life. And for me, it did. And I, I'm not going to say, um, you know, there was a moment when I became a believer and all the anxiety dissipated. It was more of a gradual thing where unconsciously, you know, I just become a new person mm-hmm. and those fears were gone. It's um, remarkable looking back. So I think, um, not to cut you off, but, yeah, go ahead. but I will cut you off. Um, the, uh, the, the teacher you talk about and what, how you describe him, it sounds like he was genuinely exhibiting the fruits of the spirit. Yes. Right. So the Holy Spirit, yes, you know, was involved, right? And that kind of stuff is so genuine. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can't fake that. Like you said, he wasn't the smarmy, whatever, you know, but you can't fake that. And so that's, I mean, that's pretty incredible story. You're not even done with it. Go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to, if you'll indulge me in my extreme preparation, I actually had a C.S. Lewis quote here that kind of described how I felt um, meeting these other teens from Christian families and where they were coming from and just the contrast to how I felt internally, where I was in my mind. And uh, anyway, the quote is, many of us have had the experience of living in some local pocket of human society, some particular school, college, regiment, or profession where the tone was bad. And inside that pocket, certain, certain actions were regarded as merely normal. Everyone does it. And certain others as impracticably virtuous and quixotic. But when we emerged from that bad society, we made the horrible discovery that in the outer world, our normal was the kind of thing that no decent person ever dreamed of doing. And our quixotic was taken for granted as the minimum standard of decency. What had seemed to us as fantastic scruples, so long as we were in the pocket, now turned out to be the only moments of sanity we there enjoyed. Hmm. It's really wordy, but for me, the analogy was my mind was that pocket that I was living in. And then being exposed to these genuine Christians, it was like, whoa, I mean, they're they're at a different level here. They have this. They're, they're, they are changed. They are new creations in Christ. And I want that. I need that. Yeah. Was there a time that you um, prayed the so-called prayer, you know, the sinner's prayer that you know, that you could remember, like, this is the time I gave my life to Christ? I know you said it was a gradual change, but... Yeah. So, um, you know, like Pastor John Piper, I don't have a moment. Right. I can't remember an exact moment, but there was definitely uh, a transition from non-belief or nominal belief to genuine belief right that happened i couldn't pinpoint a moment i know there are a lot of christians who know the exact moment they were visited and indwelt by the by the holy spirit i can't say that um you know c.s lewis since i already referenced him he talks about becoming christian for him he was on a trip to the zoo and he's going to the zoo right and he's puzzling over what to make of jesus christ and he goes is he the son of god or was he just a great teacher he couldn't explain it but on the way back to the zoo, he knew that Jesus Christ was Lord. He yeah. wasn't just some 
wise man. Yeah, and know? I think that's, you know. The spirit the, moves, you never know how it's going to Right, move. and in the church, we always say, well, you got to say this prayer, but you don't have to. I mean, you know, when the Lord brings you to himself, you know, and the Holy Spirit works on you, sometimes, you know, and that's I, the way it is. I'm sorry, Dial-Up, you're going to say something. Yeah, I was just going to ask him, so was your mom going through this similar growth in that relationship with Christ at, at the same time with you? Yes, I, th- I think so. I think she was a little ahead of me. I think she had become a Christian in genuine sincerity. And I think that's why it was so important for her to bring me along to this church. So, um, I mean, talking about this is honestly, as I was sort of drafting out a sketch of how I'd share this story, it was surreal. Mm. Uh, Honestly, thinking back to who I was at at 14 and what I was going through and who I might be today, you know, if the Lord hadn't truly delivered me out of that fear, it's, it's wild. I mean, I was it's, it's like thinking of a, a nightmare. I, I know what happened. I can't really remember um, really deeply what those experiences were like, but, but I know they happened. I remember the, the pain, yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. It's real, man. And, I, you know, some people would say if you're Christians, you read the Bible, you believe that there, there are demons. And, you know, was it, was it you know, some kind of demon uh, sure. torturing you or whatever? I mean, I, you know, I'm Personally, not gonna... I think it's some interplay of, you know, circumstances, genetics, and spiritual warfare. Yeah, right, absolutely yeah. wouldn't downplay that aspect of reality. Well, praise God that he, he got you. Yeah, yeah thank absolutely. God. Right. Amen. Yeah, so, what's, so what happened next? You're in high school now. Did you participate in sports? Uh, not really. I would play basketball, uh, local park, but, uh, yeah, I played in some baseball leagues, but that was never, because yeah. you seem like a pretty good athlete to me. That's why I asked. Oh, thank you. And That's you're like, what? Maybe six... the first time in my life I've heard that. So, <laughs> and you're like, what? Six, four, right? It helps. Yeah. yeah it helps. I'm sure that's the, the only is... reason I play basketball. I'm sure if you way. didn't play, the coaches probably reached out to you to say, Hey, do you play basketball? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't know. Maybe you were really uncoordinated when you're young, but you, but uh, you could run. Uh, you know, you got you look agile enough to me. Of course, everybody's agile compared to me now. Yeah, if you want to keep going, this is yeah. great. Please. <laughs> All right. So you go through high school, and uh, you know somehow you end up becoming a lawyer. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so um, I honestly it was pretty undirected in my life at that point in high school. You know, obviously, as I went through the anxiety and that dissipated, I was very joyful. Um, I've never been like an outwardly exuberant person, but I I was just a grateful person. Um, One day, I think I was about 17, a mom came up to me uh, very wisely. I think this was a fair thing. She goes, okay, so uh, you're about to turn 18 and you're either going to start paying rent (laughs) or you're going to college. So what's it going to be? Like I said, I just didn't you know, sometimes you just sleep through sleepwalk through life. And at this point, you know, I, I was a Christian. I had some purpose, but I wasn't thinking about the future. I wasn't thinking about adulthood. So I'm like, okay, I guess college it is. I wanted to go to a Christian college. So I applied to Liberty University, uh, completely unaware of the political freight that that uh, school now carries, especially after its uh, most, its past chancellor made a lot of um, questionable decisions. But uh, it was a Christian university. My brother told me, hey, you should check it out. He was going there at the time. So I applied, went there, studied mathematics. And um, I think it was about my junior year of college that I was like, okay, well, now what? I mean, I've got one year left. What am I going to do? And um, had no clue. 
like I said, I was studying math. What does that make you? Uh, math, you know, what can you do? A math right. teacher, actuary, something incredibly boring like that. And I remember a buddy of mine just mentioned casually, he was like, yeah, hey, I'm going to take the LSAT, law school admissions test. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, that just took root. I was like, I couldn't get it out of my head. I was like, oh, it, and I swear, six months prior to that moment, if somebody said, hey, what about a lawyer? I would have said, are you kidding me? That's, that's terrible. Reading dense statutes and regulations, that's, that's awful. But some reason, when he said that, it, like I said, it just took root. Couldn't get it out of my mind. Um, so I started praying, Lord, is this, what is my next step? Should I go to law school? There was one hang up I had about the prospect of becoming an attorney, which is, you know, attorneys don't have a good reputation. You know, society, we like to tell our I jokes about. I think Shakespeare about. said, kill all the lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not advocating that, by the way. I appreciate that. <laughs> you do rank higher than tax collectors, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. That's, that's good. <laughs> but uh, so the question was, <laughs> as a lawyer, can you do anything truly pro-social? Can you truly uh, be compassionate? Or, you know, do you have some sort of corporate client at a big law firm and you're doing your best to cover up some, you know, pseudo borderline ethical things that they're doing. I just, I had a negative view of lawyers. And before I was really going to take the plunge and take the LSAT, um, I wanted to be assured that you could do good as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And it was around this time that uh, coincidentally, another friend told me about this Chinese human rights attorney, Gao Zhisheng. And uh, so I bought this guy's book. It's called A China More Just. Um, It's an incredible book about this guy's uh, fight for justice in China uh, talks about, you know, government seizures of property, oppression of religious groups and religious minorities. So you hear about um, China's treatment of the Uyghurs in the news recently. This guy, if you've read books by humans, right, human rights activists like him, you know this stuff has been going on for years. I mean, his book is shocking. He talks about um, Falun Gong is another religious sect in China. These people would be detained, tortured with electric batons, re-education camps, and most horrifyingly, like killed and their organs were harvested. Mm. Um, just crazy stuff. Uh, makes you grateful to live in the United States. Um, we're not perfect, but um, corruption of the Chinese Communist Party is, is unreal. But point is, uh, Gao Zhisheng, just his example, his heroism, his courage, and uh, much of his work was, by his own admission, undergirded by his Christian faith and his belief in compassion and seeking justice. So with his example, I was inspired and I decided to go for it, take the plunge and uh, take the LSAT. So so when you started thinking about taking these things, did you, like your minor, did you change things up and start taking some like pre-law classes? No, or? no. I it doesn't matter. I just you kept know, crunching numbers. So here's where I'm ignorant. Like, I, yeah. I, like I didn't think that was an option. And right? just so you know, I just uh, like I always thought, like, hey, you got to take like kind of some minimum courses. Well, to yeah, take yeah. The, well, apparently these schools, professional schools, medical school, law school, I mean, there's some prerequisites, but they like a kind of a, well, so I'm told they like a well-rounded uh, yeah. sort of applicant. But uh, uh, you know, he was pretty good at math too. I think in your CV or somewhere you said something you finished like in the top ten percent of some national math tests. Uh, there you go with the question. I have nothing to add to that. Yeah, yeah, there was an exit exam for yeah. the school. And he knew the exam algorithm, I think is what it was. He was, <laughs> he was able to take that. Well, whatever. I appreciate you, DFib. You just seem to be 
saying all the good stuff on my resume. So, well, dude, you're, keep going. you're a high impact man, right? That's why you're here. So statistically, statistically speaking, how how often is it actually C? When, in, when you're in doubt and you guess C, have you, have you studied that? No, I've never calculated is that, that you're but supposed I, to I think, think, I, I, think I, I Googled I, it. Multiple choice, right? If you don't know, you're always supposed to guess C, yeah, right? Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah. I think I Googled it once, and out of uh, like four options for the answer, uh-huh. C is going to be the answer like 28% of the time. So it's statistically more, more than, than one quarter ones. of the time. Okay. So right. go with C. If Keep you going don't know. with the kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's an important <laughs> nugget. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe you should just study and know the answer. That'd be a good one, too. Uh, unfortunately, well, I didn't always do that either. <laughs> you know, this whole thing about a lawyer—not uh, just a just a side sidebar. Uh, counselor. Uh, so anyway, uh, you know this this concept of like doing something for humanity. I mean, you're talking about this with this guy from China and stuff. And um, I wasn't talking to him personally. No, I said you're talking clear. about. Oh, okay. This guy. So I think I said that. Anyway, um, no. It's, while you're talking about that, my first thought was, first of all. Um, Unfortunately, we need lawyers, right? Yes. We need lawyers because of the fall, right? I'm getting deep here now. So we need lawyers because of sin. We need lawyers because of the fall. Because if everyone was righteous and did what was right, we wouldn't need lawyers. Um, But because that happened and we do need lawyers, then as a lawyer, um, I'm sure they're corrupt lawyers too, just like any other profession. But as a lawyer, you are trying to restrain sin and evil in the world. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, um, come on, brother, bring it. Wait, wait, wait. Cloak of righteousness. Keep going. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, so we'll get there. My first job was as an assistant district attorney, which is a, a prosecutor at the state level. Uh, but wanted to tell a quick story about how I got into law school. Yeah. So like I said, it's uh, early in my senior year in college. Take the plunge, register for the LSAT, take it, uh, score in about the 90th percentile. So that's not bad. And I'm thinking, okay, great. Uh, why field of options for what school to go to. Now, the Law School Admissions Council will publish your LSAT scores to all the schools. Um, you don't have to request that. So I started getting these emails from some of the tier one schools, like, congratulations on your LSAT score. We'll waive your application fee and prioritize your application. Now, uh, spoiler alert, these same schools that said they'd prioritize my application later when I sent in my application. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Did we say prioritize? <laughs> How do you like a wait list? We didn't know you were a moron. So <laughs> <laughs> here's the thing. LSAT score was great. But remember, I talked about that whole sleepwalking through life thing. I did not take my studies seriously at all. My GPA was atrocious. Now, it wasn't for lack of ability to understand the material. I could normally pass the exams without too much study. Um, case in point, I remember calculus three, we got our exams back and my buddy Curtis comes up to me. He's, he's like, how'd you do? I think I got a C or something like that. I'm like, eh, you know, whatever. I was just incredibly apathetic and I'm ashamed of it now. Anyway, I'm like, how'd you do? And he goes, I got an A. Let me, let me see. What'd you miss? Cause we would study together sometimes. And he looks at my exam and he goes, dude, you told me how to solve this problem. You explained how this works, and you missed it, and I got it. Yeah, whatever. I guess I just forgot. I don't care. That was my attitude. Um, So I really didn't think my grades would be consequential. I thought, you know, a degree is just your ticket to maybe a decent job. All that employers care about is, hey, you've got your degree. You've got the capacity to learn. Well, not so. 
When it comes to law school admissions, uh, your LSAT is weighted just as heavily as your GPA. So all these schools that sent me the fee application waivers said they'd prioritize my application. Once they got that application with the GPA prominently displayed, mm. eh, about a wait list. So you killed, about it. A rejection. You killed it on the LSAT, <laughs> but your GPA was bad. Thus the more uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> but this reminds me of a little story of my own because I took in high school. Took wait, the I, I've always heard you were an overachiever in high school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> in high school, I took the SAT exam, you know, to get yeah. into college, whatever. Yeah. And um, you could send it for like to like two schools for free. And I just picked the one right across the river for me, King's College in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. And I sent it there because I didn't know where I wanted to go to school. I just bothered to send it there. And uh, they were kind enough to send me a letter in the mail that said, congratulations on your, you know, I forget the wording, you know, great SAT score. That, that uh, qualifies you for the presidential scholarship, like the highest scholarship. However, your GPA score now excludes you from any of these, any scholarships. And so... My dad opened it before I did. So anyway, yeah, mm. he read it to me. But yeah, I killed it on the uh, the SATs, but I didn't, I didn't, I never took a book home. So uh, yeah, I, I, I can, can relate. relate. I can relate yeah. to the, it wasn't, I wouldn't say I was apathetic, although I guess that's a good word. I was just too busy doing other things that were more fun. So. Yeah, that was definitely part of it for me. You know, I was a homeschooler and now I'm at college. Like, yeah. Trying to, you know, make now, friends. You weren't partying in Liberty, were you? No, okay. no. Although those did happen. I, I, do, I, I have to put a plug in for Liberty because both my kids went there and graduated from there and a lot of my money went Excellent. there. Excellent. But I, I can say that for anybody listening out there, whatever happened with the last guy, that's a great school. Uh, I agree. I agree. School. I met uh, friends who I continue to maintain close friendships with today. Absolutely sterling people who are serving their communities, doing great things. Can't say enough good about my professors either. So oh, yeah, when they, it comes to my experience at the school, I have nothing bad to say. They were amazing. Did they have the ski slope there. when you were there? Yeah. Yeah. The year round ski slope and all. I mean, yeah, I actually campus never went, amazing. but yeah. Yeah. Campus is amazing, but the, the, the campus doesn't even look like what oh, it looked like building. when I went there. Yeah, when yeah. I went there, there was buses that would take you from the dorms to North Campus. Now, I mean, it just looks completely different now. Yeah, yeah. It's it's pretty amazing place. I wish I was... When I took my kids there, I thought, man, I wish I was a student again because it was pretty... But the, the professors all seemed like they genuinely cared about every student. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Enough of a plug for Liberty. You, you can... Couldn't, you yeah. can yeah. By the way... You couldn't have gotten in with your GPA, though, probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably not. Uh, this episode of the... High Impact Men Podcast is brought to you by Liberty University. <laughs> We're waiting for their donation. All right. So if I could moralize, though, um, on that, you know, that time period in the crappy GPA, embarrassing GPA, it was just a lesson I learned too late to pursue excellence in everything. So in all seriousness, if uh, anybody is listening and it's young enough, they're thinking about college or graduate school, these things matter. Be faithful mm -hmm. In the little things, you know, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, as the Bible says. So I didn't think my GPA was consequential, ended up being hugely consequential. Uh, so there I am, early senior year. Uh, I've got a list of law schools. I'm in my dorm room and I'm contemplating, okay, uh, you know, I've got an unusually imbalanced application. I hadn't been rejected or waitlisted yet. I'm just contemplating who, what schools I'm going to apply to how that's going to work out with a decent LSAT, not so decent GPA. So right at this time, my buddy Manuel comes into my dorm room. He sees a list of all these schools and, uh, you know, the list of ones that have like checked that, okay, I'm going to apply. 
and he sees Catholic University of America, Columbus School of Law. It's in Washington, D.C. He goes, oh, man, that's my stomping grounds. Apply there. And I had decided that was like the cutoff point. They were tier two. It was a decent school. They were just like ranked 80 something. And I was like, that's that's my cutoff point. I'm not going any lower than that. Whatever reason, he honed in right there on Catholic. I didn't tell him that's like, nah, that's not what I'm looking at. I hadn't mentioned it. He just saw what was on my screen. He's like, no, go to Catholic. So I pushed back. I'm like, ah, Manny, I'm not not really interested. It's kind of expensive. I'm not saying it's a bad school. And he goes, no, apply to Catholic. For whatever reason, he's like arguing with me. Like, why does he care so much? He like doubles down until finally like, all right, all right. I will add that to the list of schools that I'm going to apply to. So as it turned out, (laughs) sent out all my applications, these schools that said, hey, fee waiver, uh, prioritize your application, wait list, wait list, wait list, rejection, rejection, only school that accepted me. It's Catholic (laughs) University of America. And Manny's dad's the president. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And they gave me a substantial scholarship on top of it. Wow. One of my sticking points was the price tag of the school. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was amazing. I mean, I'm not kidding when I say I owe my legal career to Manuel Amaya, a good buddy from Liberty University. I don't know why. I think it was Providence. Yeah. Truly, it made no sense. He came in there, sees Catholic on my screen, and a whole list of schools homes in on that and just says, no, apply. And he's like arguing with me to apply. Had I not applied, I would not have gone to law school. I would have missed that complete cycle. A year would have passed. I would have gotten a job doing who knows what and probably given up on that dream. Yeah. Yeah. So Isn't that funny? Like everybody has that like one or maybe two or three like really critical points in their life, right? That mm-hmm. just like, wow, how yeah. different my life could have been had I done something different. And that's, yeah, cool. Cool story. Yep. Are you still in touch with him? Um, occasionally. Not, not regularly. Manny just probably knew you. Oh, this is the bottom. I, I will definitely send him the link to this <laughs> podcast, though. So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's like, this is probably the only one you're going to get in. Listen, Inman. This yeah. is probably where you should blow. He was here. <laughs> he knew about my GPA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, so then you move on. You get through law school. Get through law school, and, um, you know, D.C. just felt drab that final year of law school. It was that final semester, spring semester, was just overcast. I felt like there was no sunshine. Anyway, you're slaving away in the library reading, and I just needed to – I knew wherever I wanted to be was not going to be in D.C. at that stage of life. Anyway, so I applied to jobs all across the country – Uh, where I knew there would be sunshine. And I don't even remember applying to this district attorney's office in southern New Mexico, of all places. I I truly did not remember sending in this application. Um, And I got an email that said, hey, we'd like to set up an interview with you. And uh, so it was obviously a Skype interview uh, Mm -hmm. because I wasn't going to fly out to New Mexico. And um, interview begins. Uh, on Skype, the DA is right there, center of the screen, rest of her office behind her. She goes, uh, red or green? <laughs> I'm sorry? Red or green? Pick green, pick green. I did, I did. I said uh, green. Yeah. Why? Because it's go. 
that was almost what I said. <laughs> I said, well, green has the connotation of go. You know, red is a stoplight. Uh, green is the color of peace. It's growth, you look yeah. at trees and growth. Yeah, it's evocative of nature. She goes, great. And I think right then she decided, okay, we'll go with this guy. <laughs> now, I found out later that's New Mexico's state question, red or green, which has to do with the chili peppers. There's a red and green chili in New Mexico. Um, so, yeah, but... Uh, from there, it was all gravy. She just wanted me to answer and be able to substantiate that answer in a way that could show I could think on my feet. Right. So that was that. Right after the interview, she calls me up, um, offers me the job. This is two weeks before graduation. So it's awesome that I know I've got something lined up. The market was pretty rough at this time. So a lot of my classmates didn't have jobs lined up. Um, the rest is history. Packed up all of my earthly belongings, which weren't much at this time, in my little uh, Volkswagen Jetta, drove to Carlsbad, New Mexico. Ooh, baby. Yeah. And didn't know anybody there, no family, friends, no connections to the state, but started working as a state prosecutor. Did you have to uh, comprende espanol? No, no. Okay. I mean, it would have helped. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I guess I'll tell you about um, some of the cases there. I was looking, you know, as it happened, this was a jurisdiction that was incredibly busy in the fact that the defense bar was not afraid to take cases to trial. So in just three years after becoming a bar certified attorney, I had almost 70 trials, which is kind of unheard of. Um, you know, there were guys in Albuquerque, which is a higher population, uh, plenty of crime going on in Albuquerque. I, I talked to some of the prosecutors there and they'd be like, how many trials are you doing? You're doing a trial every two weeks? That's insane. So it was really cool. I uh, got my sea legs in the courtroom, learned how to you know, think on my feet with the rules of evidence and prosecute cases. Within a year, they were giving me felony cases. So it's an awesome experience. How does that work? Are you like, like, do you have a mentor to start? Like, are you, like, are you in the courtroom by yourself? You right should go or <laughs> you, you should. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but it depends on the jurisdiction. In this jurisdiction, they were just so busy that it was kind of like, Here's your cases. Don't screw up. And they start you out with, you know, uh, they're not going to give you a first degree murder case mm -hmm. right off the bat. So I actually started with uh, the juvenile docket, children's court. So I think, you know, it's not particularly high stakes if, uh, you know, some kid stole something from the Circle K gas station, you know, if I messed up that case. But yeah, it, it was kind of crazy that they just gave me my cases and said, Had a, have at it. There you go. I did have an attorney stick with me um, at second chair in my very first jury trial. That was it. After that, I think it was like, okay, he knows what he's doing, which is not how it works uh, when I became a federal prosecutor. When I became a federal prosecutor, it was like, we don't care that you've done 70 trials. We need to like meticulously manage your work product and make Groovy. sure you know what you're doing. Mm. I think we need to change the name to like Cousin Vinny. <laughs> After, for the first job see yeah we, yeah, we like, stink at naming we people. really missed yeah, out on the naming really thing bad at naming yeah people. have we had this story we I need some naming mentoring anyway continue but you didn't know it yeah i know no we're not you're not the only one we're bad at i'm mean, bad at everybody so we're, looking, too, we're too nice is the problem yeah we are too nice yeah yeah and i don't know how many people would accuse you of being too nice <laughs> um i was looking back at this this document I had drafted. Every time I had a trial, I would I would draft up, you know, some notes. What did I learn? 
and you know the name of the case, case number, and I saw that I had a DUI conviction, jury trial. And the defendant was Johnny Walker, <laughs> like nice. the Scotch whiskey. Was yeah. that what he was drinking? Uh, no, no, <laughs> it was beers. Uh, but uh, so um, wait, hold on a second. Go ahead. Do you have all the notes from all your cases still? Not all the notes. Like, I don't have, like, the evidence and discovery and all that stuff I use. But there's this Word document that's, like, 30 pages long of trial number one, date, case number, case name, judge, defense counsel, charges, So how many cases are you up to now? 70. Yeah. No, 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 no. Like, ever, ever. Like, lifetime. Are you still keeping track? So, so that oh, no. That's just of trials. Ah. I I don't have a... I mean, it's been thousands of cases. Yeah. Literally thousands of cases. I don't know whether you kind of kept... Kept a running tab. Mm. No, kind of like, like we do with posts. You know, What's your batting you, average? You a brick for your 100 posts. You know, you can't, you can't go off of that. Yeah. And um, the reason I say that is because the attorneys who really, uh, the prosecutors who really cared about their conviction rate wouldn't take difficult cases. And they would, uh, right. you know, try to give a really good offer to the defendant. They cherry so, pick their cases. Yeah, and, and I didn't believe in that. I believed, you know, you've got your guidelines, you've got your standards, and go for it. If it's a sure. tough case, so be it. You know, the only thing that mattered to me is, am I morally certain? Do I have that moral certitude about the evidence? Not only that I can prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the crime was committed, but that it truly committed. It was right. committed. Because the worst fear as a prosecutor is that you send an innocent person to jail. Yeah, but sure. if I was firmly convinced, absolutely convinced of their guilt, I didn't care if some motion to suppress uh, excluded evidence and there were things I wasn't going to be able to present to the jury and it would be a tough case. It, it, hey, let's let's go for it, even if it's a tough case. All right. Give it your best. Yeah. So I did uh, want to talk about a murder case that I saw not long after becoming bar certified. This was actually not a case that I prosecuted. It was not my trial, uh, but the chief deputy in the office and another attorney prosecuted it. This was a um, murder case that had actually come from a prior conviction. Paul Lovett was the name of this defendant. Um, Really brutal case. Murdered two women in Hobbs, New Mexico. Uh, Stabbed them. uh, Slashed their throats. These were two separate incidents. Uh, Raped them. And one of them was abducted from a gas station. I remember reviewing some of the evidence for this case and actually having nightmares Mm. from it. And just seeing... So one of the victims, uh, God rest her, Elizabeth Garcia, she was in a gas station late at night. 2002, um, Paul Lovett comes in, abducts her at knife point, takes her out, uh, you know, in the middle of nowhere, and that's where she's murdered. And the there was photos of where she had dug into the ground with her nails, trying oh, yeah. to claw her way. Oh, brother! Way, and those were even worse than you know the photos of her injuries and her body. It was just really um, troubling. Like I said, so I, I remember having this nightmare of like seeing the abduction from her point of view and watching it happen. So um, I was also invested in this case uh, because what happened was, so Paul Lovett had been convicted of both murders in a single trial in 2007, long before I made it to New Mexico. He appealed to the Supreme Court of New Mexico. New Mexico had these rules about joining charges together, and they found that it was prejudicial Mm. against him, unfairly prejudicial, that both murders were tried together and that the jury heard the evidence in both cases. So they upheld the conviction for the murder of Patty Simon, 
threw out the conviction uh, for the murder of Elizabeth Garcia, and that was what was being retried when I was there in Carlsbad. Uh, meanwhile, I'd been handling the uh, post-appeal uh, challenge to the conviction of Patty Simon, so I was f- pretty familiar with the facts of that case. Anyway, uh, because of my investment in the case, just because of how brutal it was, I wanted to watch and, and watch the trial, see that justice was done. And um, the last day of the trial, there's closing arguments. I'm sitting in the gallery with the family of the victims. Even Patty Simon's family was there to see uh, Paul Lovett get convicted. Um, closing arguments are made. Jury retires, and we're just waiting in the district attorney's office, you know, late at night, waiting to hear the jury come back with its verdict. And uh, got to talk to the family. We get the call. Like I said, it's pretty late at night. It's court clerk. I say, the jury's ready. So before we all go up, this has never happened um, in any other of my cases. Uh, the family of the victims say, hey, can we pray? And so we all joined hands circled up. They were praying just that justice would be done. Um, went up there, sat in the gallery, and a uh, four-person stands up, announces the verdict. And when he said guilty, which, by the way, wasn't entirely unsurprising. It was a circumstantial case, but the evidence was powerful. We had tire tracks that uh, matched Paul Lovett's truck. We had shoe prints that matched the shoe he had, brand and shoe size. We had seminal uh, DNA evidence, DNA on cigarette butts that he had pitched at the murder scene. Point in, you know, in the absence of any other indication of any other suspect. And then uh, conflicting and ever-changing stories to the police trying to account for that evidence. So circumstantial case, but pretty powerful. So anyway, the four-person says guilty. And again, I don't mean to be overdramatic. Some of my friends accuse me of being a melodramatic person, but... Uh, Again, never felt this in any other case, this palpable sense just overwhelmed where we were in the gallery and everybody started crying and not crying and like tears of pain, but vindication and like I'm, my eyes are starting to mist up and it just unexpectedly, it was this presence of just a feeling of justice Mm -hmm. and vindication. And I, I say that because justice in New Mexico this guy didn't get what he deserved. He got another life sentence tacked on to the one he was serving for the murder of Patty Simon. But New Mexico, unfortunately, had abolished the death penalty. This guy, to me, it's a tragedy, a travesty of justice that he gets to continue to live out his life. But but all that to say, I hope it doesn't sound too dramatic, but I really mean it, it felt like like God's presence there, you know? And, and a lot of Christians, when they describe that, they associate it with like, oh, a feeling of love and closeness, and I'm not discounting that. Or, but in this case, it was like a feeling of justice, and this was a shadow of what would come to Paul Lovett, mm. you know, except he repent. You know, that's that's fascinating. I mean, one of the attributes of God is justice, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, just a, another sidebar, I had, I had uh, years ago, I don't remember why, I used to teach a, an adult class and um, in church, and I I don't remember why I was going to do it, but I wanted to teach on justice. And you could look up in Webster's and see a, a definition for justice, but the the beginning, like where does it come from? Like where does this concept, this definition of justice, come from? So of course I went to the scriptures, and in all of 
the scriptures, you know, the Bible, which as a Christian we think is the word of God, every time justice is mentioned or referred to, it assumes you know what it is. There's no definition of justice. Now he talks about, you know, be take care of the widows and the orphans. I mean, there's some, you know, righteous acts. Right. <clears throat> you know, don't take bribes and things like that. But but it assumes you know this concept of justice. Mm. And it's interesting because when you look at kids, you know, when they get old enough to talk and stuff, you know, but they're still kids, they have a concept of justice, right? That's not fair. He stole my toy or whatever, right? So I don't know, just a sidebar, something I've, I've, I've recognized. And, and you're describing one of the attributes of God that you felt, you know, heavily uh, that presence in that courtroom. Yeah. Keep going. Well, that was it for that topic. So all right. So, use, yeah. All right. So we're moving on. You, you were in New Mexico. Then you became a federal prosecutor, right? You served in like three different states or something like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the whole genesis of me wanting to become a federal prosecutor was actually the district attorney took me to uh, a meeting of all the state district attorneys in New Mexico and Albuquerque. It was actually hosted by the U.S. Attorney's Office there. And the U.S. Attorney's Office there is staffed by AUSAs, which stands for Assistant United States Attorney. Those are federal prosecutors. I remember just being um, impressed with the AUSAs there. They were very trim, professional. Uh, there was this AUSA who welcomed all the DAs into the conference room where they were going to have their meeting. Uh, dude had this just chiseled chin and this deep voice, uh, like suit, looked like it was out of GQ. And then the district attorneys, and I, I hesitate to say this because I don't want to <laughs> bash them, they sort of looked like a ragtag band, you know what I mean? Band of characters, uh, it's almost like this was, I don't know, the Marines, and then here's some militia, backwoods militia. It's kind of how I felt. And I just thought, man, I, I've got to become an AUSA. These, these guys are operating at a higher level. Um, so uh, after getting some experience, I just started sending out applications. Whenever I saw an AUSA position um, around the country, didn't matter where it was. I even applied to a position in Anchorage, Alaska. Mm. Didn't matter to me. I'd wasn't married at the time, so could go anywhere. And, uh, you know, praying for that door to open, praying for that opportunity. I remember applying to a position in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And I was just using the Wi-Fi, I think at, uh, I, I can't even remember, like Perkins or something like that. Using the Wi-Fi, sending off my application, and again... And if anybody's listening to this thinking, why does he always have crazy stories? This is a selection effect. I'm only telling the interesting stories of yeah. my life. But the, this guy, um, the waiter, he just starts asking me, hey, what are you, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm applying to, you know, federal prosecutor positions. This has, you know, become a dream of mine. He goes, oh, cool. Do you mind if I pray for you and pray for this applicant? I'm like, go for it. Find out this guy's a Christian. He prayed for me right then over this application. And wouldn't you know it? Uh, I, I knew it would happen. I was like, this is the one where I get a call back. This is the one where I'm going to get a call and get an interview. Sure enough, a few days later, I got a call from the HR guy who sets up the interviews, set up a uh, video conference interview. Um, went really well. Uh, after the interview, uh, I got a call from the uh, first assistant who uh, said, all right, we like you, but we like to, you know, we want you to come out and fly out for an in-person interview. And set that up just a few days from that day. So this was a kind of a wild experience from here. So the day of the flight, uh, 
which is the day before the morning of the in-person interview. Um, I'm flying out of El Paso Airport, which is about half an hour from Las Cruces, New Mexico, which is where I'm living at the time. Massive traffic jam. Massive traffic jam. I mean, a half hour drive ends up taking two hours. Miss my flight. Can't cancel my flight in time to get my money back. So, you know, I get to the counter, like, in, uh, the interview was going to be in Sioux City, Iowa. Like, okay, are there any other flights to Sioux City, Iowa? No, no other flights to Sioux City, Iowa. Any flights near Sioux City, Iowa? Well, we've got Des Moines, which is three hours away from Sioux City, Iowa, by the way. Okay, drop hundreds of dollars for a ticket to Des Moines, Iowa. Fair enough. Now I'm kind of harried running, you know, to get to this flight to Des Moines. Land in Des Moines. Go to the kiosks for a car rental. Cannot find my driver's license. Mm. Nowhere to be found. Cannot rent a car to you without your driver's Panic license. Panic sets in. Panic sets in. Yeah, it's nighttime, by the way, at this point. And uh, I'm like, okay, are there any cabs around here? No, none that'll run to Sioux City. Uh, Uber, there's nothing. I'm freaking out. And I'm there in the airport in front of these car, this car rental area for probably over an hour. Finally dig out my uh, driver's license. I tucked it away in some pouch in my carry-on that I never used, probably because I was just so harried, you know, going through security, showing your driver's license. Um, so now it's late. I've got a three-hour drive ahead of me for this uh, early morning interview. Speeding, pulled over. Mm-hmm. Get a ticket. Delays me even longer. No mercy from the cop whatsoever. <laughs> Not that I told him I was going for our federal prosecutor interview. That would have been, you know, borderline unethical. Uh-huh. But no mercy whatsoever. Uh, drive, <laughs> make it to the hotel. I'm stressed to the gills, just really frustrated. Like, man, what's everything's going wrong here? Like, I'm stressed, so it's harder to sleep. It's like, I think it was past midnight when I finally settle in my hotel and go to bed. Wake up bright and early to prepare for the interview. Um, open up my suitcase so I can, you know, uh, press my suit, which by the way was a Navy pinstripe suit. (laughs) Yeah. There's my suit jacket. Where are my pants? (laughs) Spielberg. Where's my suit pants? (laughs) Uh, And I just, at that point I laughed. I'm like, this is a comedy of errors. I don't, I don't even know what to say. This is sounding more and more like Cousin Vinny. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I shoot an email, you know, to the, the interview panel. At least the guys that I know are going to be on the panel. I'm like, listen, please don't feel disrespected. You're going to see me in jeans and a suit jacket, jeans in the United States Attorney's Office for an interview to become a federal prosecutor. I mean, no disrespect. I don't know how this happened. You know, I'm not normally like this. You know, don't let this reflect on my application, please. Uh, Tim Duax, who is now the U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Iowa, kindly emailed me back. He was like, hey, think nothing of it. Happens to all of us. So, uh, drive to the U.S. Attorney's office. I'm in my jeans. Feel like a complete... I mean, jeans in a navy blue pinstripe suit jacket. Does that does that sound professional? Far no, from GQ. No, I, Very I, far from GQ. I'm sure I would do that. My wife would yell at me, but yeah. Were they skinny jeans? Oh, goodness, no. Okay. I've never worn skinny jeans in my life. Are you kidding me? I would have just flown home at that point. But, uh, so, you know, here's the crazy thing. I walk into the conference room... And it's great. You know, they're laughing, ribbing on me. Like uh, the U.S. attorney at the time, he's like, ah, you don't look so bad. That's not too bad. Maybe this will be a new look. And it just took the pressure off of everything. It was I was put at ease. 
you know, for me, this was something I really, really wanted, wanted to become a federal prosecutor, but just the circumstances took the edge off. And um, also I'd been so stressed out the, the night before Had that you, it was like, it almost, you know, this just felt trivial. Okay, let's, let's get through the interview. This did, is no problem. <laughs> did you end up telling them the rest of the story of all the no, other stuff? No, I did not down? tell, no. Cause I, you didn't want to go for would, the, you didn't I thought go, that would make me, you didn't want to go for the sympathy vote? No. Yeah. No, no. Got it. I think they already felt bad enough, <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, at the end of the interview, sure enough, um, they make the job offer, do salary negotiations. I'm absolutely over the moon, you know, endorphins going. I'm just like thrilled. I remember walking out of uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office, walking out of the waiting room, and there's the next candidate because I think they had like two positions. The next candidate is sitting there. and he, <laughs> I don't know if he saw me because I probably was avoiding eye contact, but if he saw me, he must have thought, what an idiot. Like, what, this guy is interviewing to become a federal prosecutor. I'm a shoe-in. The thing is, he was never hired because I, I never saw that guy again. Can you hear that conversation with his wife? Then? Like, some idiot that wore jeans <laughs> to his interview got it over me. Like, I must be terrible. I would hire that and guy. And his wife's like, you shouldn't want to work there then. They must be idiots oh, to hire boy. someone like that. Capstone was I got to my car and because I got the offer and salary negotiations and the interview went longer, I had a ticket on my car because uh, I didn't put enough quarters in the thing. So it was the <laughs> most expensive interview process Two of my flights, life. <laughs> hotel, ticket, rental car, ticket. speeding so, ticket, parking ticket. So yeah. you end up living in Iowa, right? Yeah, wait, wait, hold yeah on. I got the job. I, get, I got a question for you. Did he ever find his pants? Were they back at home? Yes, they, my pants were on my bed. There you go. Just sitting there. Yeah, all right. Okay, Mocking I was going to ask, have you been to the Corn Palace? No, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is either. It is like this convention center. I can't remember what town it's in. So my, my stepmom, she's this kind of like artsy, fartsy, folk art kind of lover. And the, 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 corn, the corn Palace is like, it's this like town convention center. There's like a basketball court inside that they have like, I don't know, their high school games or like, I don't know. Anyway, but they decorate the thing outside every year. In in corn and other like vegetables and leaves and, and things like that. But it's got a new theme every year. And anyway, I had to stop and see this when we did a trip out west with my, my dad and stepmom. All right. Apparently it's like it's 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 like a well known landmark. Did you also see the obviously, world's largest ball of twine? Obviously, on the obviously way? not not well known enough <laughs> that you guys know what I'm talking about. But I will pull up pictures to show you guys <laughs> we're, we're what wait, the corn palace. Anxiously looks awaiting like. these pictures. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I was just curious. I thought maybe Was it as was. awesome as you expected? It was, <laughs> it was it's it's one of those quirky little things. It's like, yeah, this is yeah. It broke up the trip, let's just say that. Mm. Cool. The corn palace. It's in Mitchell, that's right. Mitchell. Oh, wait, it's in South Dakota. Oh, my, my Lord. Bad. We're in the wrong state. We're in the wrong His state. His pants are in New Mexico. You're in South Dakota. Is that like Western Iowa? You know how many? <laughs> Northern Iowa. I think it's Northern, Northern Iowa. <laughs> Something like that. Anyway. So we can add New Mexico All right, so to we the can list. Filter. Or, excuse me, <laughs> Iowa to the list add that of to the states edit. that you've offended. Add it to the edit list. We're going to edit com my comment about the Corn Palace out and put it in Why the Why in the world would anybody listen to us? <laughs> put, it, put it in Put it in the... Uh, Gandalf, the please, please give us better stories than what we're talking about right how now. How about I tell you how I uh, met my wife? Can we go back to yes. the sheep story? No. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right, we are digressing. Stop All giving right. Spielberg editing material. Yeah, I know. So, uh, All right. so yeah, uh, Denise, how'd you meet her? Yeah, so um, while I was in New Mexico, that was when I finally um, was like really keeping my eyes open for a potential wife. 
and uh, colleagues and church friends would set me up on blind dates. But, you know, I would just know on the first date, you know, you just, you know, okay, we've got a future potential here or we don't. And uh, most of the time it was no. Uh, I just knew instantly friends would tell me, dude, you're, you're too uh, picky. Like you're going to end up alone. Like, <laughs> so I became very motivated to reach out whenever I saw somebody that caught my eye. And um, this is the best story I can think to illustrate this. I had to take a trip to Phoenix and I'm driving back uh, from Phoenix to Las Cruces, eight hour drive. And you pass through Tucson, Arizona from Phoenix to uh, Las Cruces. I'm flipping through the radio stations. This is a true story, by the way. Flipping through the radio stations, there's this rock station. And the two DJs, I can't even remember what their names are, but I think it was like Monty and Mindy or something like or that. Or D-Fib and Dial-Up. Yeah, D-Fib and Dial-Up. No, yeah. it's important that one of them was female. Okay. So No comment. <laughs> I tune in, and Monty is saying, oh, Mindy, so you lost the bet. I guess there was some sort of sports bet. The team she banked on lost. He goes, now you remember what the rule was when you lose this bet. We give your cell phone number on the air. Now, Mindy, this is, again, how attuned I was to a future wife. (laughs) Occurred to me that she had a really, like, smooth, kind of sexy voice. I thought, okay, I've got nothing better to do. I'm, like, finishing out this eight-hour drive. So I start, like, I can't remember how I got the number, but they announced the number over the air. I don't know if I was, like, punching it into my cell phone, grabbed a scrap piece of paper. I write down the number. Then they go to a commercial break. I call the number, and I take it seriously. So help me, D-Fib. He's live I'm on, on the phone. No, not yet. I call her number, and, you know, you hear Mindy. Hey, this is Mindy. Leave a message. I'm like, hey, Mindy. Uh, and I try and put on, like, some sort of alluring voice. I'm like, well, you know, my name is Drew Inman, and uh, I'm six foot four. Uh, I'm a lawyer. work as a criminal prosecutor. I've got a couple cats, and... Uh, <laughs> Look great in jeans and a pinstripe suit. <laughs> and I've graduated uh, from the farm. You know, I just thought, you know, you sounded cute. And uh, so, look, if you're interested, and I gave my number out, say my number is 410, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I hang up. And I'm like, well, I don't know. Shoot your shot, right? <laughs> wait, wait. I got to predict this because your wife's name is Denise. No. Huh? It, she was sure not the, the DJ. I'm not I sure know. where this they is going. They gave your number out on the air. That's where I was going. Yeah. No. Oh, okay. All right, let's no. keep rolling. Right. So anyway, I, I'm flipping through the stations. I, I don't know that there's going to be like a follow-up to that little segment, that banter between Monty and Mindy. But I like flip back, and now they're like playing the messages that people have left <laughs> on Mindy's phone. <laughs> except I'm the only one who took it seriously. <laughs> So there's like this guy gets on the radio. He's like, whoa, I want to give a shout out to my buddy, Joe. Joe, I'm on there. Woo. Click. It's like, hey, uh, you know, 1067. I love you guys. Click. And like they're going through this. I'm like, I'm, I'm a moron. Man. The schools that rejected me were right. I'm like, I'm not kidding. I hear my voice. And it's like. Hey, Mindy, uh, this is Drew Inman, and I'm six foot four. I'm an attorney. And I'm obviously like mortified. Did they play, did they play um, your cell phone number? No, no, they actually like bleeped that out. Okay. So uh, while 
I'm talking and giving my spiel, Monty's like, what the heck? <laughs> what is this? Who is this guy? But Mindy says, no, hang on. <laughs> Hold on. I, this guy sounds okay. So that's that. They bleep out my number. I'm like, you know, in my car, like, I can't believe that. <laughs> what the heck? Drive back to Las Cruces. I think I told some friends the story, and they're like, what? Like, you, that actually happened? They're like, so has she contacted you? Like, nah, nah, they just play. I think that's the end of it, and I think this is where this ends. A few days later, I get a text message. Don't recognize the area code. I'm like, oh, my gosh, is this what I think it is? Sure enough, it's like, hey, this is Mindy. I, I wanted to make sure. I hope I wrote down your number correctly is this drew <laughs> it sure is <laughs> and we start talking uh-huh and here's where the story ends she goes hey can you send me a picture that's not where it ends i actually sent the picture she goes mm, okay i'm like so what do you look like well she wasn't homely and i'm not gonna i don't want to insult her but she had pink hair <laughs> and i don't know she picked her, red <laughs> It's just, I, I'm not saying there's something wrong with you at pink hair, blue hair, purple hair. For me, that's an instant. We're not going to be life partners. This, this isn't going to work out. But that, that was the end of it. And then now I'm in this situation trying to backpedal out of this. Uh-huh. Like as soon as I saw the pink hair, I was like, oh, this is, this is over. Next thing and you know, I, like the next broadcast, they're talking about what an idiot this Drew Inman guy is. I contacted him and he could, wouldn't date me because I have my pink hair. Well, I think I think what I said was, uh, you know, actually I live in Las Cruces. I was just driving through. I don't know if it'll work out. And I'm not kidding. She was like, oh, fine then. Or something like mopey. I'm like, what in the world? Who knew driving through Tucson, you hear this, you know, number given out over the air. And next thing you know, I'm like talking to her and then having to say... Yeah, huh. you broke the pink-haired radio DJ's heart driving through Tucson. This is a some Possibly. kind of where does here. Denise enter the picture? Yeah, yeah. How did you get? So me- that was just to illustrate. <laughs> I'm not going to say desperate because I wasn't desperate, but how uh, active I was and looking for. But I remember praying. Not long after that incident, God, you know, <laughs> I've tried everything from calling a radio DJ, cold call, you know. <laughs> Um, I had slipped uh, my number on a piece of paper under the glass of like the magistrate court for a cute court clerk as well. That fizzled out as well. I remember just praying, God, if you want to give me a wife, bless me with a wife, can you just make it happen? And not me actively trying to force something that's going to turn out not to be right. And again, providentially, it amazes me looking back just at the story of my life. It wasn't long after that, that my brother's wife, who was going to medical school, uh, texted me. She's like, hey, are you still single? I'm like, does a bear still do his business in the woods? (laughs) She's like, hey, I I know somebody that you should really meet. And so it was just like, add her on Facebook. Or I think uh, Denise added me on Facebook. And we just started talking from there. It was like, not something I sought out, not something I looked for, not a number I called that I heard on the radio as I'm driving, and uh, we just clicked. And just as sure as with the pink hair, I knew that there was nothing. <laughs> Talking to Denise, it was instant. I yeah. just knew. And where was she living at the time? 
she was in Virginia. She was going to medical school in Blacksburg, Virginia. But uh, as it happens, it was literally only a few days after I started talking to Denise that the interview, uh, I had the interview in Iowa, moved to Iowa. And from there, what we would do, once I moved to Iowa, we were close enough. We would just take weekend trips, meet in the middle throughout the Midwest, met up in Cincinnati, uh, Indianapolis, Fort Wayne, Indiana, just a bunch of places, Detroit, and um, got to know each other until ultimately I moved to uh, Charleston, West Virginia, was just a couple hours away. That was after we got uh, engaged, started working at the U.S. Attorney's Office there, and uh, we got married, Charleston, West Virginia. Sweet. No offense to to you and Denise and your relationship, but you know the the stories there. It would have it would have been better, you know, the whole <laughs> roommate or college friend, right? And then the the waiter at the restaurant, and then the radio DJ. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh well. Oh well. It's we, still it's still a great story. We though. don't write these stories. Yeah. Just never know when love is going to strike. Yeah. All right. So well, good for you. you. you were fa- Thank uh, you. U.S. Attorney for how many years? Since January 2017, so I guess uh, over five years, I've been a federal prosecutor in some capacity. And then you went into the military. Yeah, yeah. Joined the National Guard after moving here in Pennsylvania, after Denise got her uh, OBGYN medical residency here. Of course, I followed her up here. And um, yeah, just wanted to become a judge advocate. Thought that would be cool. It's sort of a part-time gig, but yep, they uh, assessed me into the National Guard. Nice. And where are you working now? Working for the Federal Bureau of Prisons in Allenwood and then cross-designated as a special assistant United States attorney in the Middle District of Pennsylvania where I help out with um, prosecuting prison crimes, sta- you know, inmates assault staff or assault each other, try to smuggle drugs into the prison, um, shanks, you know, weapons possessions. Those are the things I prosecute right now. Well, that's cool. I, you know, when I was looking through your, um, your CV, it seems like everywhere you, everywhere you went, but mo- I don't know if it's a majority, but it seems like a lot of drug, drug trafficking, uh, crime and things that you've dealt with. Yeah, definitely. When I was, um, prosecuting in Charleston, West Virginia, I mean, we're still in the midst of the, uh, opioid crisis. So yeah, there was plenty of uh, fentanyl trafficking and other, you know, we had all sorts of overdoses, people dying because their heroin was cut up with stronger stuff like car fentanyl and fentanyl analogs and like literally like uh, elephant tranquilizer was being caught, cut up and uh, mixed into some of these, uh, yeah, drug mixes. Wow. Yep. Yeah, it's an epidemic and you're out there trying to fight it. Um, You know, it's amazing to me that drugs get into prisons. How does that happen? It's called keystring. 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 Keys. Oh, okay. No need to elaborate. Yeah. On that. So I think you can figure out what that. Is. So, we, um, you know, we had a guy who self surrendered to begin his uh, service, and he keystered, got it into the institution that way, and uh, dislodged it, and we found it from there. So wow. Yeah. That's that's. Uh, that's, I don't know. I don't, kind of <laughs> disgusting. Kind of disgusting. Entrepreneurial. It's disgusting. <laughs> Links you go to, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I always say if these guys would apply themselves with the same like entrepreneurial spirit and effort and ingenuity to doing something productive, they would have been successful. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. 
Yeah, that's fascinating. And, you know, the, the guys that end up in prison, the statistics, correct me if I'm wrong, but overwhelmingly guys that really didn't have a dad. Is that? Yeah, absolutely. Is that what you see? Absolutely. Um, before sentencing defendants, um, federally at least, the court orders what's called a pre-sentence investigation report. <clears throat> that's where the federal probation officer does an investigation, gets background information on the defendant, compiles their criminal history, but also like their family history, their medical history. And part of that is an interview with the defendant himself. And I swear the most common denominator amongst otherwise diverse defendants, diverse in their crimes, diverse in, you know, ethnicity and all that. Uh, but it seems the most common thread is fatherlessness. Yeah. They don't have that guidance. They don't have that male figure um, to, to show them how to be a man, to how to give back to society. Right. Yeah. And, and to kind of, you know, roll this back to our, our involvement with F3, I see F3 as one of the key ways to try to uh, help, you know, that situation. You know, the, the mission of F3 is to develop virtuous leaders. Yeah. And the more men that could get involved, and it's a grassroots type movement, right? Right. And we call ourselves a starfish organization. So every little region kind of runs its own, although, you know, we we're part of a larger F3 nation kind of thing. But, um, but it's really amazing what, how creative guys have gotten out there and, uh, to reach other men and, and, uh, hopefully reach uh, young men, you know, and that kind of right. thing. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that, that draws me to this. Cause you know, my, my, I feel that my mission is to, is to help guys and, uh, and to grow and teach leadership and that kind of stuff. So, uh, and F3 does that. So uh, since your involvement with F3, now you, you've been part of F3 here since about November. Is that right? Something like that? January, actually. January. Okay. So not too long. Um, but I've already named you expansion Q. Uh, you were voluntold to be, you accepted expansion Q and you're just getting started in that role. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, F3, you know, I mean, the, the goal is to uh, invigorate male community leadership. How, how has F3 helped you personally, personally mm-hmm. and uh, professionally? F3 has been an absolute uh, boon in my life. I mean, it motivates you to get up earlier. You start the day with a beat down, which is just pushing yourself harder than you, you think you can go or you'd certainly want to go. Uh, DFib, I... Definitely appreciate your beatdowns because you always put these numbers up on the board that we have to achieve. And I look at them and I think, there's no way I'm going to crank out what, 300 push-ups in one morning and then run two miles, whatever it is. Um, but just starting off the day uh, with that physical exertion, conquering the beatdown, you walk away from that feeling great. You walk away from that feeling victorious. Mm. Um, the circle of trust, of course, at the end where we just uh, reorient, uh, share what's going on in our lives, pray for each other. It's awesome. I mean, F3 has been awesome. And uh, I'm glad you made me expansion cube. Like, I think I've already told you, I feel like I've become an evangelist for F3. I'm telling all my guy friends about it. Like, yeah, you need to find out if there's an F3 group where you live because this is just awesome. You're going to get stronger. You're going to get fit. Um, and it's just good for you mentally. I mean, imagine what our country would be like if F3 was, you know, everybody did F3, all mm-hmm. men everywhere did F3. It, it'd be incredible. It just fosters discipline. It fosters um, an outward focus, a selfless focus too, mm-hmm. because so much of what goes on in our Slack chat is, you know, service opportunities and encouragement, uh, scriptural encouragement, or, you know, just general encouragement to be better, to pursue excellence. 
So for me personally, it's, it's been amazing. And I've told you before, I'll, I'll tell you again, thank you for starting it here. I mean, it's, it's an awesome part of my life. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Um, keep telling guys out there. That's we all got to be F3 evangelists because, because every guy needs it. And, uh, you know, and yeah, we'll, with God's uh, grace, we'll we'll continue to grow and not just grow in numbers, but grow uh, as we learn to be better leaders and we go through this together, beating beating ourselves up in the morning, uh, doing all those merkins and that we you know push ups and uh, all to serve all others, running, all to serve others. Yeah, That's right. Yeah, it's supposed to be out of love, right? Amen. Yeah. Uh, do you have any f- questions for for Gandalf before I ask my last question? No, I I got nothing. No. Okay, so uh, Gandalf, I ask this of all my prey, and I'm sure he does not have this on his. No, it's not. No, on I've, his reached, I've reached the end of no, it. Yeah. Oh, he's at the end of his. Well, I looked. I made sure we we reached the end of his right. outline. <laughs> Drum roll, please. <laughs> Gandalf brought in a, a a book of uh, stories and outline that he was gonna yeah, make he's sure well he prepared. got through. Yeah, well prepared. Uh, really appreciate everything you said, and, and your story is is a really inspiring one. I think you know, guys can Thank go you. out there and great testimony. Um, yeah, great testimony, and how the Lord worked in your life. And continues to work in your life, mm. and and in your work, uh, and in your, in your work, you you know you see a lot of bad stuff. I mean, you described one horrific uh, crime uh, already, but um, you know you can see, you see all this stuff and the fatherlessness that's a part of, a factor with this. So the question is, this is your chance to address the men of America. Oh, okay. Yeah, what message do you have for the men of America? Wow. Message for the men of America. Well, to my Christian brothers, I would say seek God. Seek God uh, with greater passion, greater fervor. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and trust him. I mean, compiling you know all these notes for this interview was a pretty cool experience because it really emphasized how faithful God has been. I mean, and honestly, I didn't even get to all the stories mm-hmm. that I could have, but I just think of how kind God has been to me, how he's opened these doors, led me along. It's been an amazing journey. And really, when I think of regrets, regrets are always when I didn't trust God, mm-hmm. when I didn't love yeah. him like I should, when I wasn't faithful, uh, when I wasn't loving my neighbor as myself. So to my Christian brethren, the message is seek God. Don't lose heart. Um, don't grow weary in doing good, as the Apostle Paul says, because we're sowing, you know, uh, eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard the things that God has prepared for those that love him. We're the, our light momentary affliction is nothing compared to the glory uh, beyond. To non-Christians, I would say, Become a Christian. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. What are you waiting That's for? That's all I've got. <laughs> what are you waiting for? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, cool. Well stated, brother. Uh, you know, F3 is not a Christian ministry, but uh, but all of us here are Christians and appreciate your testimony. And this is not a podcast just for F3. So, you know, guys are willing, uh, more than uh, willing, and, or not willing, more than welcome to share their faith uh, here. And I appreciate you doing that. Um, so... God bless you in your continued growth uh, as a as a husband, as a leader, as a jag. Thanks, guys. And, it's it's um, been an honor to be here. It's been I great think, having you, brother. 
dial up. I think we just spoke to another high impact man. Very high impact man. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Thanks for being here, brother. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I would like to thank our guests for joining us and sharing their story of becoming a high impact man. More information and resources can be found at highimpactman.com. If you like this podcast, please consider following us on our social media pages or email us at him at highimpactman.com. That is H-I-M at highimpactman.com. The High Impact Man podcast has a new episode every week, and you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcast platforms. Have a great week, everyone.